0: Galatians chapter six. O oh, to be like Thee, <clears throat> full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. O oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer. Galatians chapter 6, we begin reading in verse 1, and read down through verse 10. Verses 9 and 10 will be our context this morning. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap." For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. It's prayer, Heavenly Father. We sang hymns and psalms. We've heard the reading of Thy Word, and Lord, You've enabled us to intercede on behalf of others this morning who are in need of Your grace and mercy. Lord, again, we pray for that family who is suffering under this tragedy. Lord, we pray the God of all comfort would comfort them in this hour. No human words, Lord, could ever comfort the heart that's burdened by the loss of a loved one, especially that of a child. We pray, therefore, God, that You would do a miracle and comfort them, Lord, at this very moment. Help us this morning we pray that the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts and that we would listen and that, Lord, we would learn from Thy Word not to grow weary or faint in well-doing, for we shall reap in due season. I pray, Father, that, Lord, You would help us to be more like Thee. May that be our constant prayer. Lord, I pray that You'd be honored and glorified this day. In this world where so much hatred and anger and division and schism is so broadly spread about, help us to be reminded this morning that as Christians, we not only seek to first and foremost glorify Thee and love Thee with all our hearts, our minds, and our souls, but Lord, from that love, out of that love for God, must flow a love for our neighbor as ourself to be kind and loving and tender and caring lord god it's the attributes and virtues which flow from our relationship with christ may we this morning learn from thy word may you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do in christ's name we pray amen amen for weeks now The Lord has been dealing with my heart concerning this passage of Scripture, and though I do not, as in all cases concerning Scripture, consider myself to have yet fully apprehended its divine truth, having walked in this Christian life for uh, some 40 years, I am in many ways very much acquainted with the dangers of growing weary and even fainting in well-doing. The child of God, because he has been imparted with the principle of grace, has this inward desire from God to do well to all men. This is what moved God to send His own Son for He loved the world, so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. It's a virtue and a grace from God planted in the heart of every true believer to do good. There's something about a child of God doing well that gives him spiritual vitality and life and joy and happiness. Doing well to all men is something that every child of God should truly desire to fulfill. Having, as a young believer, read these words, the Apostle Paul, at first I thought them to be strange and confusing, like so many other passages in Scripture when you're young. For how could anyone who seeks to do well, do good, unto all men ever be in danger of growing weary or fainting in such a benevolent and kind duty? They confused me. They sometimes troubled me. Surely, by doing well, men would readily accept you and embrace you and and love you. Yet it wasn't long until I realized that often, and that often with great disappointment and heartache, that in this world of sin and wickedness, that the well-doing of God's children unto others is often met with great ingratitude and unthankfulness. Should we be surprised when we consider how they treated our Lord when He walked amongst men? And though this ingratitude and unthankfulness is not limited against the true believers, for since the entrance of sin into the world, all mankind has suffered such ingratitude and unthankfulness from others. It's embedded in sinful man. It's not limited merely to Christians. This spirit of ingratitude and unthankfulness, even the lost will tell you, I get tired of doing good because people don't accept that or appreciate that. So, it's not limited to Christians, but the true believer is encouraged and exhorted in our text to not be weary or faint in continuing in well doing. We have a principle of grace imparted unto us by the Spirit of God that enables us to persevere in well doing, whereas the world does not have that same benefit. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. You know that? It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. I wish and hope and pray that I could open my heart up to those of you who know not Christ to let you see and understand what a privilege and blessing it is to be called and to be a Christian, to know God, to walk with Christ to to feel and embrace the grace and the Spirit of God, how it moves in our hearts, subduing all the wickedness and depravity of our hearts and minds, and creating in us the image of Christ. Growing more like Christ. Loving holiness and goodness and kindness and justice. Hating sin and wickedness and evilness. Those are good things. It's a joy to be a Christian. And yet often that joy becomes weak and weary because of the opposition of wickedness and evilness and sinfulness in the world. And Paul exhorts us not to weary in well-doing. The world would justify themselves in growing weary, even fainting. Giving up being discouraged and quit in well-doing. They would justify themselves in growing weary. Even some Christians I've known in the past, professing Christians, seem to justify why they don't follow God's commandments in loving one another as Christ loved us. Or forgiving one another seven times seventy a day. We seem to want to justify when we can't live up to God's commandments. Yet such is not the Spirit of grace wrought on the true believer's heart. There are many things in this life, dearly beloved, that threatens us to grow weary and faint as believers. Things we ought to be aware of, and things that we ought to be cautious of. We are not to be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, we don't, we don't seek to justify why we can't live up to God's commandments. God said, forgive each other seven times seventy. Well, Christians have a problem forgiving them once, let alone four hundred and ninety times a day. They just seem to justify why they don't love the brethren as Christ loved them. Oh, because they've done something against me or to me. No, that's not the principle of grace. That's not the Christian life. We're not to render evil for evil, nor railing for railing, but counterwise, contrary, blessing. Render evil, render not evil for evil, nor railing for, ever, for e- railing, but counterwise, blessing, knowing that you're there unto called that you should inherit a blessing, First Peter chapter 3. That's the true principle of grace wrought in the heart of the believer. We are called, even by our Lord himself, to love our enemies. Bless them that curse us, do good to them that hate us, and pray for them which despitefully use us and persecute us. Why? That Christ said that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. And when I see so many professing Christians falling short of these commandments of God, I ask myself and wonder if there's ever been a principle of grace wrought within their hearts. You see, people boast themselves of the knowledge they possess, but not of the way they live, but the conduct their lives. That's not Christianity. Christianity, we see, the Lord said Himself, you'll know them by their fruits. As God's children, dear beloved, we don't live nor walk by the standards and the ways of this sinful world. We shouldn't. But according to the commandments of God's Word and the principle of grace, wrought in our hearts by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 2 explains this well. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. We don't live in accordance to the standards of this world, but in accordance to the commandments of God and the prince of grace, which has been wrought in our heart by the Spirit of God at salvation. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, down to 10. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, in time past. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our walk in times of, uh, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, in time past. But God, here's the change, not because of ourselves, not because we did something, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, are you saved? And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that the in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Now watch, for by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. See the change. In created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You follow that? Where His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see the difference of the life? We don't walk in accordance to this world anymore. We walk in accordance to this new life in Christ. I'm telling you, the more I looked at this passage of Scripture and studied this topic this last week and thought about all the professing Christians I've known over the 40 years, I wonder how many of them really knew or experienced the principle of grace wrought in their heart because many don't live up to that standard. They live up to the world standards. They love as the world loves. You love me back, I'll love you. You give me problems, I'm not even going to talk to you. What Christian should act like that? Well, I had a grievance for that Christian. Seven times 70. Well, I, can't, I just can't seem to reconcile myself with him. No, if you have an offering, and you come to the altar, and you realize your brother has something against you, not you against him, him against you, you go to him and get that straight. Ye that are spiritual, if a brother fall into fart. What happened to that? What happened from being your brother's caretaker? What happened to living according to the principles of grace as Christians? They seem to be lacking in many professing Christians today. We hear of many boasting and talking about Christian love and charity and benevolence and kindness, yet so, so few practice it when it's most needed. It's easy to be kind and charitable to one another when we're at good terms. But can we still be charitable and kind when the terms aren't so good? If I'm exhorted and commanded to love my enemies, shouldn't I love my brother and sister even more? Many today gauge or measure their spirituality, even their salvation, on the extent of their knowledge of Scripture. And not by the divine evidence and fruits of God's grace wrought within their heart, working itself out. Work ye therefore your own salvation out with fear and trembling for it is God, that worketh in you to both will and to do is good. Work it out. Work it out. Therefore, like the sinful world, they seek to justify and excuse their behaving like the world. Ye shall know them by their fruits, our Lord said. Does the world know us by our fruits? Therefore, Paul gives us a wonderful exhortation here in Galatians. In fact, this whole chapter is wonderful. But he said, Let us not be weary. And that's something that we need to be aware of as Christians. Listen to me, especially you that are not long in the Lord or only a few years in the Lord. By that, I mean maybe five, ten years. Um, The Scripture speaks often of the dangers of the true believer growing weary and fainting. It's a real threat to the believers. Listen to me. It's a real threat to the believer's spiritual well-being and happiness. And therefore, dearly beloved, must be seriously watched against. Be careful that you don't grow weary and fainted. Luke 18, the Lord says we're in danger of fainting when we do not always pray. Men faint because they do not always pray. So pray. Always. The true minister of the gospel is in danger of fainting in the course, in the course of the work of the ministry according to 2 Corinthians 4, and believe me, I know something about that. It says fainting in the course why he's trying to run the course. Paul said, I've finished my course. I'm sure there's times Paul felt like fainting in that course. It's hard labor. It's hard work. It's a very unthankful job in many places and at many times. When you consider that his work is to feed the flock of God, help them grow in their relationship to Christ, pray that God would give him the food, the spiritual food, to nourish them, that they might come to know Christ better. What greater work could there be? You would think people would be appreciative of that. And yet so often that's not the case. So a minister can go faint in the course of the ministry. When we do not consider Christ, according to Hebrews 12, in regards to our present sufferings, the Bible says we're in danger of being wearied and faint in our minds if we do not consider Christ under our sufferings. Hebrews 12 even says we're in danger of fainting when we're rebuked and chastened by God. Don't faint when you're rebuked and chastened by God. The Bible says do not faint. And Proverbs says, if our strength is small in the day of adversity, we are in danger of fainting. So you see, scriptures speak often of the danger and threat of the believer fainting or growing weary. So beware of those things. When you sense yourself spiritually growing weary and faint, turn to Him who giveth power unto the faint and strength unto the weak. Isaiah chapter 40, amen? You need to know the signs of that. Christians need to sense and know when you're growing weary, I'm growing weary, I'm beginning to faint, I'm beginning to be discouraged, and, and I'm beginning to want to quit. I'm beginning to want to throw in the towel. You need to know the signs. So many things, beloved, in this world threaten our perseverance and would cause us to be weary and faint. Yet I want you to notice, before we move on, that the threat comes from within our own hearts, not so much from those things from without. All those verses I read, those those threatenings, those dangers came within our hearts, not so much from the outward. It's in us. To be weary and faint, dearly beloved, is a real threat which arises from within the heart and the mind and therein lies the battle in the heart and the mind. Listen to me, Lord. I pray hope that you'll you'll grasp this, especially so, so you younger believers. It's the battles in the heart and the mind. When you sense yourself growing faint and weary, oh, notice the threat, notice the danger, and turn to Him who gives power unto the faint and strengthen the weak. Amen. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I am content whatever state I am. I have learned. Paul said, I learned it. It doesn't just impart it. I learned it. So know and be aware that we can grow weary and faint if we're not careful. There is a threat of every Christian growing weary and faint. Yet Paul would speak of something this morning which I believe we have need of today, and that is growing weary in well-doing. Let us not be weary in well-doing. You know it's strange that by seeking to do well unto others, that there's a danger of growing weary. By weary, I mean that is patience is exhausted, and the mind yields to discouragement, and even faint. Paul says that's grow cowardly, and depressed. And I'm sure if you've been saved very long at all this morning, you can bear witness to both of these threats, these dangers: weariness, and fainting. Often you have had your patience exhausted, and your mind dwells on discouragement. And if you let that linger, then you begin to grow spiritually cowardly and depressed. I'm just going to give up. I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm just not going to help anymore. I'm not going to try to do well anymore. I'm tired of people abusing me and using me. I'm tired of people not being gratitude, having any gratitude for what I do. They're ungrateful and they're unthankful and I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of being the, su- the sacrifice all the time. I'm tired of being the loser all the time. And you begin to grow weary and discouraged and you become cowardly. Paul says, oh, let us not be weary. Because Paul, even confessing himself, is threatened by this danger because he said, let us. Let us. Paul's going, I'm I'm telling you, I know something about this danger of being weary and faint. Believe me, I know. He said, let us. What is it then that would threaten us to grow weary and even faint in well-doing? What would threaten us to grow weary and faint in well-doing? We're trying to do good. We want to do good. What is it that threatens us to grow weary? Well, we live in a fallen and cursed world where the sin of ingratitude and unthankfulness abounds everywhere. It's a fruit of sin, ingratitude, and unthankfulness. It's embedded into the nature of sinful man. Paul said in in these last days there will be perilous times. The thing that leads those perils is men shall be lovers of themselves. Men are lovers of themselves. You know, in Matthew, for years, I I didn't understand that text, but um, Matthew 24, talking about the end times, the Lord said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Well, he's certainly not talking about the love of sinful man. He knows sinful man cannot love. Why would he refer to sinful man's love? No. He's saying because iniquity shall abound. It will be so excessive that the love of many of God's children shall wax cold. It shall be threatened. They'll want to stop loving because iniquity is abounding everywhere. I'm tired of the sinfulness of this world. I'm tired of the wickedness. I've had enough of it. And they begin to wax weary or cold in love. Christ says, be careful that you do not do that. We must learn to love at all times. Even the greatest of our enemies. The wickedness and sinfulness of man is a great opposition against us loving, trying to love and do well towards others. And we resent that sometimes. I'm trying to do you good, but yet you pay back evil. Acts of kindness, love, and well-doing wax cold. They grow indifferent in the face of iniquities abounding. Yet when the and when the entrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ came into our hearts, dearly beloved, listen to me, and therewith the love of God, the great commandment. So likewise the love for our neighbor as ourselves. It was a principle of grace wrought in our hearts, and beloved, such love is met with great ingratitude and unthankfulness, which threatens to weary the true believer in well doing, and could leave and lead to our fainting. Do you understand that? Yet that is an imparted principle of grace. Love thy neighbor as the... That's not a wish. That's not a a desire that God wants us to have. He says, know what is the great commandment. I'm telling you, beloved, the more I look into Scripture and how Scripture testifies that true Christianity is not in what one professes to know, but in what one is the more I'm convinced so many who profess Christianity knows nothing of Christ. The evidence of our truly being Christians born again in fellowship with Christ is that we walk with the Father and the Son. And the evidence of that is the principles of grace brought in our hearts. We've been ordained unto good works. Even Christ Himself, as He walked amongst men, subjected Himself to the same threat, yet without fainting. You remember the ten lepers? He healed them all. He said, okay, go and wash yourself, and on the way there, they all got healed. One turned around. And the Lord said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Even Christ was a little aggravated at the unthankfulness of sinful man, at His goodness to them. Where are the nine? Could that be a mathematical equation that one out of every ten Will return thankfulness for good done unto them? I don't know. Possibly. But only one returned, and that seemed to aggravate the Lord. So he himself was subjected to that. His whole life was. He came seeking only to do good. He came into this world out of the love of God. He came that sinners might be saved, and how did the world treat him? What did the world do to him? They crucified him. Thank God He never grew weary and fainted. And cast sinners aside and said, forget this. The Lord said Himself, the Father has given me power to lay down my life and take it back up. He never grew weary. He never grew faint. Beloved Perseverance and well-doing in the face of great ingratitude and unthankfulness is the divine evidence or fruit of true grace wrought within the heart. The true believer, though often feeling weary and possibly fainting, listen to me, never gives up because he has an inward principle of grace wrought in his heart. Nothing of his own. It's not self-determination. It's not (laughs) self-willed. It's because God has imparted unto us that wonderful working of grace to love our neighbor as ourselves and regardless of how often our neighbor spits in our face and and looks at our goodness and our well-being with ingratitude and unthankfulness, the true believer will rise above that and say, but I will still yet love you. I will still yet pray for you. I will still yet bless you. Yet many professing believers quickly grow weary and faint at the first sign of ingratitude and unthankfulness. I'm telling you, this thing of perseverance is really uh, making a lot more sense as I grow older. Like I said, people confess a lot of things about what they know about Christ. Let's see what happens with their perseverance. You know, some Christians today have gotten so aggravated with other Christians that they've completely compromised a lot of their convictions, and settled with churches that don't preach the whole truth simply because they're aggravated with their brothers and sisters. I cannot figure that out for the life of me. Do you know that? Well, I'm aggravated with my brothers and sisters. Oh, the truth of God is being preached there. The Scripture is being preached. The doctrines of grace are there. They're, they're solid. The, the whole church has a conviction for them. But because I have an uh, uh, an argument or because I have a dis- something uh, troubling me about that group of believers, I'm going to go to this church of lesser. They compromise things. That's always bothered me. I'm telling you, it's, it's like cancer. You compromise one area, you'll begin to compromise others. One of those churches that I know of, some believers that I knew or believed, or hope were strong in the doctrines of grace. Uh, looking at one of their websites yesterday, talking about uh, uh, the Islamic month of, what do you call it, uh, Ramadan? And in their article about praying for Islams and all those, said pray that when they're fasting that Christ will come in a vision or a dream. And I'm going, where in the world do you get that baloney? Pray that God will become in their visions and their dreams while they're fasting. Why do they compromise a little? You're going to compromise a lot. And it's because Christians choose to pick which ones they want to follow and which ones they don't. Do you know that? This growing, not growing weary in well-doing is not just basically because of the way the world treats us, but also, and in some ways more so, with believers. Do you know that? Listen to me closely. I want want to make this clear this morning. Uh, When another family next to you, in your your neighborhood, does something wrong, it might bother you, trouble you. But when someone in your home, home or family does that, it greatly troubles you. It bothers you. Why? Because it's near and dear to home. Same thing with growing weary and well-doing. Most Christians in this day and age, and most that I know of, they don't grow weary and well-doing because of what the world's doing to them, because they expect that. They grow weary and well-doing because of what other Christians have done to them. That's sad. If we should not let the world and their wickedness and sinfulness... Stop us from do, doing well well do, doing well. Should we not allow family issues as well, not to stop us from doing well, but many Christians do. It's unfortunate. That's why sometimes it's the ingratitude of those who are nearest to us that moves our hearts to become more wearied in well-being or well-doing. For there is no ingratitude that quenches one's desire to continue in well-doing more than the ingratitude of those whom we have come to know and love. That can quench the desire to do well-doing more than anything else. Paul, in the same epistle to the Galatians, in chapter 4, verse 16, said, Am I therefore becoming your enemy, because I tell you the truth? In that same passage, he said, "They had once received him as the angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You once received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now I become your enemy for telling you the truth." You know what I've learned over the years in the ministry, and I think every pastor will tell you this: when you have those who come in fresh and new, and start boasting and. Loudly praising you and the ministry and your preaching, be careful because those are usually 99% of the time the ones that will turn the quickest on you. I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you from reality, that's true. Look at Psalm 55. I'm hoping to impart upon you a truth this morning that would encourage you and exhort you to continue in well-doing in spite of all the opposition of ingratitude and unthankfulness, even from amongst those whom we love and nearly know. Don't stop. Don't grow weary. Now look at Psalm 55, verse 12. For it was not enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, A man, mine equal, mine guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in company. Mm. Be careful that you don't grow weary when those you come to know and love show ingratitude and unthankfulness. Be careful. It's not that the true believer seeks for himself applause or recognition. That's not what Paul's trying to say either. We're not even seeking praise, he says. We don't want to be applauded every time we do well. For we take heed that we do not our alms before men, Christ said, to be seen of them. We let not our left hand know what the right hand doeth, the Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount. But well, we rest on the divine promise, which we'll look at next week, that in due season we shall reap. The verses before he talks about reaping. You can reap to the flesh, corruption, reap to the Spirit, everlasting life. So he goes on saying reaping. We're going to reap in due season. Who's due season? In God's. And it might not be in this lifetime. All the good things you and I do might not be seen. The rewards might not. We might not reap in this lifetime, but we will reap in due season. If we think that. Yet, with that said, let me kind of wind this down with this. Yet, with that said, it's not a sin, nor is it unscriptural, to acknowledge and even give thanks and be full of gratitude for the good deeds done unto you and me. It's not sinful. We sang this morning in Psalms. For even God would have us come before His presence with thanksgiving. God even delights in us giving Him thanksgiving, does He not? Look at Psalms. Sing with Him a voice of thanksgiving. Come into His presence with thanksgiving. Be ever thankful to the Lord. The Lord likes it when His children give thanks unto Him. Of course, He above all is worthy of thankfulness, right? But it's not a sin to tell somebody... I appreciate what you did. I'm thankful for your deeds. I'm thankful for your work. There's nothing sinful. In fact, it could be very encouraging to those who are struggling under the threat of weariness. Are you following me? Proverbs fifteen twenty three says, The man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, there's that word, a word spoken in due season, when it's needed, how good it is. Proverbs 25.11 says, The word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in the pictures of silver. You know, the tongue's a dangerous thing in James, but it's also could be used as an instrument of uplifting others and encouraging others. There's nothing wrong with somebody coming up to the side of another brother and sister and saying, you know, I really thank and appreciate what you're doing. Look over in Leviticus chapter nineteen. I'm going to show you something here. Bless my heart when I read it this morning and yesterday, Leviticus chapter nineteen, in verse thirty-two. We should even honor and appreciate the elderly. Do you know it's a command? Look at Leviticus nineteen thirty-two. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. That's the gray-headed, the old, the aged, and honor the fates of the old man. And fear thy God, I am the Lord. That's a commandment. Rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man. You know what they do in the old days? When an old man entered the building, they'd all stand up out of respect. Oh, boy, they don't do that nowadays. Honor and respect your elders. They don't do that. But they would stand up. You know why? Simply because he was old. She was old. Age, experience. They reverence that. You've lived a long life. We reverence especially a Christian who's lived a long life, you stand up in, in, in reverence and honor. So there's nothing wrong or sinful with us showing our appreciation to others who have done good. For many times, it's in a season when they need it. Look back in Galatians chapter 6. Al Martin this last week, I heard a sermon on this passage of Scripture. Bless my heart. Because there are certain passages of Scriptures I believe a lot of preachers avoid. Not only because they're greatly humbled by the text, but also because they don't want people to misunderstand their meaning or their purpose in preaching that text. And I'm speaking of texts regarding the work of the ministry. And this is one of them that I think a lot of preachers themselves for their own congregation many times avoid you know, allowing other preachers to preach. But it's just kind of hard when you're a preacher preaching that message to your own congregation. But listen to verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teachest in all good things. In other words, if somebody is teaching you the things of God, helping you grow closer to God, helping you in your spiritual walk, giving you spiritual nourishment that's helping you in your relationship with Christ, it says communicate unto Him in all good things. It's a good message he preached. I don't know whether I've had the pultons to do that in my own congregation, but he, he preached a good message. And it was about how the congregation should not take advantage of what God has given them in a minister that preaches the Word. If He teaches you such things that draws your heart closer to Christ, that enables you to walk with Christ, should you not communicate unto Him in all good things? With that it. without stating a name, I did receive an email this last week that somebody... Thanked me for a message that was preached that helped them in their walk with Christ, and it was very encouraging to me. Believe me, every once in a while it's not wrong to get words of encouragement when you kind of wonder whether you're making any, any, <laughs> any goal at all. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with telling a brother or sister that what they've done you appreciate good. And thank you. For in due season, he says, we shall reap. And I want to look at the latter part of this to close out this mini-series next week because the well-being, the well-doing of what he's talking about isn't the well-doings that arise from the corrupt hearts of men. It's well-doings that come from a principle of grace. Not every well-doing, but the well-doing from the principles of grace. I want to show you that next week. And also that the promise that we will reap.
1: But it's in due season. It might not be now. You might not reap that benefit
0: now. But you will. Christians don't look to this present life. They look to the next life. And if all the blessings a Christian has in doing well comes from a greater acquaintance and fellowship and walk with Christ, and they are most satisfied. But there's nothing wrong with believers encouraging one another. Amen. Though Paul would exhort us to watch, stand fast in the faith, and quit like men and be strong, in that same breath in First Corinthians 16, he said in the same breath, he would declare, let all your things be done in charity. Let them all be done with charity. Charity is love in action. A lot of people said, It's more than just love. Charity is something, is a love that's put into action. It's something that you can visibly see, touch, feel, sense. Matthew said in Matthew, our Lord said in Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And First Peter 2 said, So is the will of God that with well-doing, there's that word again, so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You do well. Why do you keep going back and doing that when people are so unthankful? Why do you keep going out to the street and trying to help the poor and the needy? Why do you keep doing that when it seems as though nobody appreciates what you're doing? Because I'm not doing it basically and foremost for them. I'm doing it foremost for God and then for them. You see? Love God with all your heart, heart, mind, soul, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor yourself. What drives us to love our as self is from a principle of loving God first. And when we love God, we can do all things. Do not weary, let us not let us therefore be not weary. Be not weary in well doing. For in due season. Mm-hmm. for in due season You shall reap if we think not and I'll finish this up next week as we have therefore here's his exhortation to practical as we have therefore opportunity when you have the opportunity you look for it you're not just standing around you're wanting to look for it let us do good unto all men especially oh I love that word Unto them who are of the household of faith. Do good unto them, and especially to your brothers and sisters. Oh, do good unto them. You know, dearly beloved, how many times, and I speak for myself, how many times in my Christian life I have been uplifted by the encouragement of brothers and sisters at a time when I really did need that to happen. Be not weary in well doing. Amen. For a new season we shall reap if we faint not. Huh? May God grant us grace to live out the principle of this uh, working of grace in our hearts and in our lives to others. As the world grows more wicked or more hostile towards Christianity, this virtue is going to be tested even more. May God give us grace to persevere in it. Amen. And when we need help in persevering in it, that's why we have prayer meeting. Amen. Some prayer meetings are so silent, you wonder, Christians don't have any problems at all. They don't have any need of assistance at all. I mean, we need to pray for one. How can we pray for one another? How can we share your burden when we don't know your burden? So we have prayer meetings. Brother, pray for me. Sister, pray for me. Oh, we underestimate how much of encouragement we can be to one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now, Lord, for your word, and we do pray that you would help us to not be weary in well-doing. Lord, I know that we are threatened by this all the time, for sometimes it goes a long time, and we're working and laboring and trying to do well, and it just seems as though we're not getting anywhere. We're not advancing anything. It just seems like we're beating our head against a wall. Lord, I pray in those times that you would lift us up and encourage and strengthen us by this promise that in due season we'll reap. Let us not faint. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd give us here in Reformed Baptist Church the spirit of wisdom and knowledge to know when we should be encouraging our brothers and sisters. Lord, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those of the household of faith. And Lord, may we do all of this for Your honor and for Your glory. Lord, I pray that You'd be honored and glorified in helping us to learn this lesson and practice it in our daily lives. We love You and thank You for all good things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.